0: Okay guys, so we are on here with the Fear Being Average podcast. with a special guest, a, uh Daniel John. He is a legendary strength and weightlifting coach, uh, all-American discus thrower, uh, holds the American record in the weight pentathlon a former Highland Games competitor, and he's also a multiple author. Uh, Some of the most notable books, uh, Mass Made Simple, Easy Strength, Never Let Go, Intervention, you're also a professor, coach, uh, a man of spirit, you do a lot of awesome stuff, and and, and again, it's been cool um, when I look for guests, and I kind of was reading a lot of your articles, and I was kind of gravitating to what you were saying, and I was happy to get you on and that you accepted, so I appreciate that. Um, but it, but it was neat. Just the more I read uh, about the stuff that you talk about, it's it's more than just weightlifting um, and powerlifting and strength training. It's a whole spectrum of you know optimization from a health standpoint and a spiritual standpoint. So it was just it was really interesting and, and and cool for me to kind of dig into that and, and see what you're all about. But but thanks for being on, Dan.
1: Oh, absolutely! This is great. Um, I uh, like I I told you I had a little bit of uh, technical difficulties, which are just kind of funny. Uh, but uh, I, I'm glad to be on. I, it
0: stresses me out if I can't be absolutely on time. So, thank you. <laughs> no problem at all. I, I get technology isn't my, my strength either. So, anytime I get on time, I feel like it's a, it's a big win. Um, so, let, let's let's jump into it. There's, gonna, there's so many things I want to cover with you. You have a, a whole... Thirty years plus knowledge and insight into the world of health and wellness and strength training. Uh, but off the bat, let's talk about how you got into, um, I guess, weightlifting. I know obviously you played uh, sports and competed at a very high level. So how did you get into weightlifting and strength training? What fascinated you with those elements, and what kept you going for to make it into a, a legendary career? Well,
1: first off, you said thirty. I started weightlifting in 1965.
0: <laughs> okay, so coaching thirty so, years. Well, uh, I started coaching in '79, Oh my gosh. so it's 41 years. Yeah, so
1: my my aunt died, and uh, she she left me and my brothers $500, and so we went to a place called Sears, which doesn't even exist anymore, and we bought the Ted Williams barbell set. And oddly, I mean, the very first time I tried to pick up the the barbell, the little ten pound barbell, I mean, I'm only eight years old, so it was seven years old, eight, whatever and it was tough and I, I had this dream of lifting that little barbell with the 10 pound plates on both sides. And that was that was my goal.
2: And what I discovered very quickly is that, uh, and, and it's still the thing, Brandon,
1: that holds me to this, progressive. I've always loved the fact that if you put your time and energy into weightlifting, you improve. Uh, now, you get to points where you can't improve anymore, like you know, the peak of my career. You know, somebody says, well, you ever knew those numbers again? I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> i would struggle to do half some of those numbers, you know? Uh, so no, you, you hit a wall. You just physically hit a wall. But, uh, I love the fact it was progressive. It, it was interesting. I, I bought on eBay the actual booklet that I had as a kid. Uh, not, I mean, another one, but, and it cost, uh, funny, it cost $37 to get that original booklet that came with, uh, the weightlifting set mm-hmm. and in it uh the guy who wrote it called ted williams he recommends basically picking weights up off the ground and putting them overhead for two sets of five well what's weird is that what i learned in 1965 is still absolutely true in 2020 pick them up off the floor put them overhead uh, two sets of five and it's like i have a whole book called easy strength based on that high level thought that I knew the very first time I touched weights. There's a, Brandon, there's a a thing, people say this a lot, that the very first time you're introduced to something, you learn everything you need to know. But your job is to abandon all that, go in the wilderness by yourself, screw up everything, and then come back to two sets of five of <laughs> picking stuff up off the floor and putting it overhead. So there you go. There's, there's your moral of the story. Um, <laughs> When I started getting ready for American football, when I was going to go uh, into the high school, well, into our high schools here in the states, I, I, I started taking weightlifting a little more seriously. I read a book, and one of the guys in the book threw the discus, and so uh, I followed. I followed what he said, and so in the spring I did the hurdles, threw the shot put, ran the 800, through the discus. But what I loved about the discus it was just like weightlifting. The more I put into it, the better I got. And I think that's going to be the theme you're just keep seeing the whole time. I like things that if you apply your energy to, you get better at. I would say writing is the same is the same one too, and I would say relationships can be that way too. Can be. There's other things in relationships, but um, so uh, through through my high school career, I, I played American football, I wrestled, I played soccer, football in the summer, and basketball, and in the, f- the spring I did the hurdles and threw the discus. And pretty soon it became apparent that I was a much better discus thrower than I was anything else, even though I certainly could have played at the next level in uh, American football. I mean, I, I, had the, I certainly had the skills. And then from there, the discus paid for all my education on Utah State University. I was their MVP and all the other stuff that goes along with that. And, and my senior year, coach, mon, a uh, great man,
2: great man took me aside and said, would you mind coming back in the fall and
1: helping my athletes in the weight room? Because what had happened, in my four years of college, Arnold, the educational bodybuilder, came out, and Pumping Iron had come out, Mm -hmm. and Rocky had come out. Now, you just have to understand, and of course the Jane Fonda tapes were coming up, that combination of things made weightlifting from picking weights up off the ground and putting them over the head to a thing we now call bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with bodybuilding, but it's a crappy way to train for track and field, football, soccer, basketball, swimming, bike riding, highland Gate. It's great for bodybuilding, but there's no way to train an athlete. Mm -hmm. So in the fall of 1979, I might have been the first actual track and field strength coach in the United States. Uh, I, I might have been. I mean, other people say, oh, I was doing that before, but there's... So, but I was being paid to be a strength coach and I helped with throwers. And I continued my career. Uh, I officially retired from the discus in 2010, July 24th, 2010. I continued to do Highland games.
0: Uh, a year ago this month, I had a great Highland games. Um, uh, What's the Hi- one, What do what the Highlands cool. games consist of, Dan?
1: Sure, sure, but I want to make a point too. Just, uh, um, so it's the Big Rock, which is the Braemar stone which is the usually about sneaking up about 30 pounds okay and there's called the open stone which is just like the shop but it's a, it's a stone that weighs 16 17 pounds. Uh, the lightweight for distance which is the 28 pound uh, weight throw, the heavy weight for distance which is the 56 pound weight throw the light hammer which is a stick with a lead on the end which is 16 pounds the heavy hammer, which is to stick with the weight on the end, that's 22 pounds. And, of course, the big one, which is the caper toss, and that's the that's the big log we flip over. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, so that was nice. Yeah, well, just one quick thing. Uh, as we talk, today's the one year anniversary of my brother Phil's death, and uh, he died. Uh, something happened when he was doing a fundraiser on a bicycle. and, and uh, But uh, uh, that that is one of the things... Uh, My family, we die young, and so that's
2: one of the things that'll come up. You might miss it in our talk, Brandon, but I am pretty sure, I know of my mortality is. My family, we die young. Um, My mom died. In fact, it'll be her
1: 40th anniversary of her death, not very long from now. So one of the things that, in my part of my career now, I
2: still love progressive, uh, but I also still think a lot about longevity because I do want to dance at my
1: grandchildren's weddings. And I want to, so longevity is a big thing. One of the things, if you read my work, there's there's basically four words you have to remember. Health, which is the optimum, you know, interplay of your organs. And you only find out your health by seeing a dentist, a doctor, an eye doctor. Fitness, which is ability to task. And the problem with our industry is people just focus on tasks. There's longevity, which is, quality and quantity you know uh, the quantity of my life might not be as long as others but I tell you one thing the quality is good Mm -hmm. and then the fourth one is what I specialize in something called a performance when someone says your name and you step up either onto the platform the ring the stage how do you do Uh, and that to me uh, so I'm always drifting those four concepts into my head at once uh, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to focus just on tasks. And I got nothing against the Moab two hundred and forty, mm-hmm. but that's a fit, that's a fitness task. If that if that fitness task uh, somehow gets you hurt badly, that's going to impact your performance and your longevity and maybe your health. So you, I always like to see those four things. And if you're not a performer, don't train like a performer. You know, like a peaking. There's no need. To, there's no need for most people to peak unless there's a wedding or something like that. And I get it. You want to look different picture. So, so basically, uh, I started strength coaching in 79. I um, did it as a volunteer for a long time. Uh, I always tell people if the fast track to riches is not being a strength coach. Uh, so, and then oh, about 2003, 2002 or so, I started doing workshops. I did one. And Testosterone Nation reviewed it so well that I was the keynote eight weeks later at another place. So I went from an audience of twenty people to an audience of two thousand about two months. And it's funny because uh, your, your fellow Canadian
0: uh, John Berardi yep. uh, often makes fun, uh, often makes fun of my route to fame. But uh, one of the things I, uh, I finished my brilliant point. Yes, Jeff, <laughs> I think I think we cut you off at the beginning of the brilliant point and at the end of it. Well,
1: perfect. Just, well, we can fill in later. Okay. Well, yeah. let's continue.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So again, I'm a big advocate of what you say in terms of of strength training because it's funny because I I wrestled in university and I played football in university myself and I've never been into to bodybuilding but you naturally build your body up through strength training through through weightlifting and and lifting heavier wow. weights. Um, and, and it's ironic really, because I, I tend to have a, you know, bigger chest and a much stronger chest. And I was, I was like the strong, I was 170 pound safety in university. And, you know, I had the strongest pound for pound bench press on on the, on the entire team. And a lot of that was due and I had a big chest, but it was due through heavy lifting. And then you get the, the idea, which I want you to dive into is that so many people are trying to, you know, go into that, you know, muscle hypertrophy, like to lift those, you know eight to you know fifteen rep range. But I'm also advocating a lot that athletes and those trying to build muscle need to lift heavy. Like you are a very basic guy in terms of pixeling off the ground to lift it over your head. So where's where does the, the line kind of get drawn in you know lifting heavy and, and incorporating that into a muscle building program? Well, you know, we've in, in my
1: world we've always said, well, you know, if you want big arms, d lift over six hundred. Yeah. clean over form you don't have big pipes you don't have to worry about it but now having said that if if it's all about your look and i'm fine with that i i have no issues with that there's no ju- judgment-free zone right here okay um guys like rusty moore uh, your fellow Canadian uh gallagher um i like what they talk about i like that they're 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 absolutely crystal clear um Intermittent fasting, basically. Long walks after you train. Don't work your lower body, basically, at all. Mm. Um, focus on the incline bench. Focus on the uh, the weighted chin-up. And that's how you look good at the beach. I got no issues with that. But if at the beach someone pulls out a caber or a discus, I like my chances of winning uh, because I train for performance. <clears throat> but you have to... Understand if you want to look good at the beach, here at the ten here's what you need to do. Those things. But if you want to perform, you've got to do different things. Um, <clears throat> you know, for example, in the weight room, if you know, if you read my book Easy Strength or your form to work on, on on heavy loads, you know, I got that rule of ten. I mean, if <clears throat> if you want to look if you want to get strong fast five days a week, do three sets of three in the overhead press three sets of three in the deadlift, uh, three sets of three in the a weighted pull-up, uh, pick up some weights and go for a former walk, and when you get back, do one set of ten in the ab wheel. If you do that, you know, and you can certainly mix up the three sets of three to five sets of two or two sets of five, it doesn't matter. But if you do that for about 40 days, about two months, you're going to notice this freakish thing is that you're a lot stronger. Not just a little stronger, but a lot stronger. Because basically strength training comes in two steps. Neurological adaptations. The nervous system figures out what you want to do. And then number two is what Rob Wolf calls that hormonal cascade, where the body says, I don't know what's going on, but
2: you know, if we're gonna be picking up four hundred pounds five days a week, we're gonna to have to do something to, you know,
1: strengthen everything. And <clears throat> to me, I just focus on those two steps: the neurological adaption learning to get stronger. Um, if you don't mind, Brandon, I always explain this when you learned how to type. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was standing next to you and started saying faster, faster, or did force reps with your fingers, you know, made your finger, push your finger down on the A mm-hmm. every time you went to an A I made it. You would not be a good typist. You would actually probably be terrible. So, but if we just let you type day in, day out, day in, day out. Ten years later, you become a very fast typist. And I see the weight room at the first stage just like that. My job is to teach your body what we're trying to get done here. And it's, it's almost miraculous. The hormonal cascade is, is a miracle. When it happened to me, it's funny you said you weighed 170. When I graduated from high school, I weighed 162. And I threw the discus 170, which is really far. And then I met Dick Knottmeyer, and he started me on the Olympic list. And in four months, I went from 162 to 202. Four months, 10 pounds a month, two and a half pounds a week. Well, there's no way I could have consumed enough calories to have done it. Now, it's true, I was hungry all the time. But that is what the hormonal cascade will do to you. I mean, uh, when you if you finally get it right, you're going to have this surge of hypertrophy and... Uh, well, I mean, I can't think of a better way to say it than hormonal cascade. But if you, if you do it right, this this kind of only, and I, I hate to call it a miracle because it's not, but it is stunning to be to, to be in the middle of that. When I, I mean, I went to a party and my one of my elementary school friends, Rita Harrington, was there, and she could not stop staring at my traps because <laughs> it was just what are those things, you know? Um, so. But that's, so that's how we get stronger. And that's, now the interesting thing is, and I would say this to my hypertrophy, the guys that want to look at the beach stuff is that, you know, I'm old, I'm almost 63 here. here. Here's my pythons for you. Looking big. I'm, I'm, I'm still carrying, you know, huge armacondas. You know, I've got, uh, and people say, what do you do for your arms? I said I don't do anything. But when you, when you lift heavy, the, the effects stay a long time. Uh, Brandon, how old are you right now? I uh, just turned thirty a few months back. Okay, so you're going to have at least five, maybe ten, perhaps if you're lucky, fifteen more years of strength improvements. But the nice thing is, is if you're very strong at 40 years old, you will. What us you say? You're a typical person for 35 to 40, okay? Mm-hmm whatever level you are at 35 to 40 is going to stay with you for a while and slowly taper down. If you're only half as strong, that strength level will stay and slowly taper down. But here I am in my early 60s, and you're, I'm still the guy you ask to move the refrigerator or a couch, because even though I'm not as strong as I was at 35, 40, 45, that massive gaff I had, that you know, that mm-hmm. – over, an, an, I hate to call them normal people, I'm sorry folks, you normal people, uh, <laughs> no, all you normal people, uh, I'm still freakishly strong, because I, even though I am weakening as I age, I still have a much larger kind of, gap. I have a bigger band mm-hmm. than someone who never tried. So that's one of the great gifts of, of strength training and fitness, is that well, you know, and one more thing, if you don't mind, just kind of one last thing. You know, Art Devaney was asked a question one time. Uh, the woman asked in the workshop, what do you do if you're, how do you get rid of fat? And Art answered, don't get fat in the first place. <laughs> and she got really mad. But as as kind of uncharitable as that comment might be, it's absolutely true. You know, and I was talking to my wife the other day, Both my daughters are around your age, they're around 30. Mm -hmm. One's over 30, the other's right on there. And I I comment and I go, there's no way I'll ever say this out loud, as I say it out loud right now. But I'm so glad my daughters did not put on all that weight in college, Mm -hmm. and then got that beer and pizza weight in their 20s.
2: They still, they train, uh, they both work
1: out, I think almost every day. They both are very careful about food choices, they certainly have fun, they celebrate life. And and as a father of a thirty year old who and of course and I live in this business, it was weird to be I was like <sighs> I wasn't proud. I was more like,
2: oh, you guys, you don't even know that you dodged the bullet. Mm-hmm. They also graduated from college debt
1: free, which probably is no big deal in Canada, but here in the States it's crippling to their classmates. So This sounds weird, but if you can get to 30 without massive bad debt and without putting on a lot of – because all that weight you put on in your 20s, that is almost impossible to get off the rest of your life. I wouldn't say impossible, but it is so hard. Mm -hmm. So a a couple of points, a couple of random points. I
2: I apologize for being so random.
0: No, no, that, that totally makes sense. I think that's probably one of the biggest drivers that I use for myself And that motivates me to continue training at such a a high level and and look for different ways to keep things exciting and and, and trying to grow my strength Um, isn't to be the strongest guy in in the room necessarily anymore. But it's to have that, like you said, that that surplus, that gap between, Okay, even if I naturally do degrade over time, at least I'm never going to get to the point where I can't perform certain tasks that. Again, I know I'm always going to want to perform, right? And that can be exercise-related, life-related. doesn't really matter. I just, I, I, really drive on the point that you need to maximize and optimize those prime years where putting on muscle and developing your strength at a very high threshold is, is crucial. You know, um, I, I break it down. I use Nick uh, uh, Reigns' numbers from
1: Ranks. So from about birth to about age 15, you should expose your children to every sport, Every game, every movement, uh, you know, Bobby should take ballet classes and play baseball and do gymnastics and ride his bike and swim. No focus at all. You should teach him how to lift weights and all that. But from sixteen to thirty-five, those are those prime years where you want to get the lean. You want to be a lean, mean fighting machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to, uh, you know, you want to, you want to stay relatively lean. You want to, you want to have try not to break things up, you know, learn the olympic, let's compete if you have to, do whatever you have to do, but because once you hit 36 to 55, holding on the lean body mass becomes uh pardon, just a second, what,
2: oh, okay, I'll fix it. okay, <laughs> um, sorry, my, I have a deaf, uh, I have a, a deaf friend in town. Oh, no problem. And, and so we're working on a business model here for a couple days, and we're doing, and I'm going over complexes and different kinds of training. Very but cool. uh, I'm I, I very proud that I work with the, the, the deaf uh, people with MS, uh, a couple of
1: other diseases, uh, lots of cancer survivors. I tell you one thing, man, if you can coach a deaf person, a blind person, eh, a person with limb issues—you uh, you learn a lot of things, man. I bet. <laughs> you, yeah, the explaining explaining um, kettlebells to a deaf person or a blind person isn't as is, is fascinating. So, <laughs> I, you know. Can't be easy. <laughs> it, it's but it's wonderful, so it's all good. Yeah, um, I, I lost my train of thought, but oh, uh, thirty. So from thirty-six to fifty-five uh, Brandon, uh, what you're going to discover is that your lean body mass goes to war with you. Uh, it, uh you, it, your body wants to get fat and sit in chairs. It just, and then once you hit, so that to me is when you want to be more of a, so in a simple way, as many sports as you can until up to 15, 16 to 35 ballistic sports, 36 to 55, that's when you want to be just a classic strength trainer and focus on nutrition. And then where I'm at, 56 plus, this is probably when you want to bodybuild the most. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this is the time to take care of joint mobility and, and traditional bodybuilding. And I, I talk to people about that sometimes in the workshops. And I'll get, like, especially when I work with the, the military, guys will come up afterwards and you know, you'll, you know, they'll be like, yeah. You know, you see here, yeah. Yeah, and then they'll walk away. That was their whole st- that was their whole response. Because <laughs> they, they hit certain places in their life, and it's like, do you remember how stupid we used to be? Yeah. We did. And they think they should still be doing that, where their experience is far more important than, uh, you know, t- 10 more push-ups or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 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 so that's... that's the so so go so going off that uh, in terms of like in in your prime and doing those ballistic type workouts, um, I'm a huge fan of incorporating. I know you are too. Um, especially being a distance thrower and having I mean, like Sergey uh, or Sergey Lit Lit Litvinov um, with his speed work attached to. Big comp, right. good big compound movements. I, I'm working with pro MMA fighters now, and I do a lot of that. Like we'll, yeah. we'll do, we'll do heavy squats. I know you're more of a, a heavy front squat kind of guy into into sprints and uh, you know fast twitch type of movement pattern. But uh, I think those things go hand in hand. So again, I'll let you elaborate on that. But also, I've talked to people about burning fat and gaining muscle together. But
1: what you just said is funny because. We're doing this thing. We're, we're doing these experiments now with complexes followed by long walks. Okay. So uh, and so for me, because of my age, to keep my heart rate where it needs to be, I wear five pound ankle weights when I go for my walk, mm-hmm. and I carry three pound hand weights. That gets my heart rate between 107 and 117, which is where I should be um, when I when I do these fat burning walks. So we do these complexes, uh, uh, folks, Complexes when you do uh, a movement for like eight reps followed by another movement for eight reps followed by another, and the bar never leaves your hands. Our complexes are using six exercises back to back to back. More information, go to Google, type in Dan, John, and complexes. The first thing that will come up is a Teen Nation article on complexes, and the second thing is my, complex, my PDFs of my complexes. So... What we're discovering is so when i'm doing these complexes uh let's say i'm doing complex c which is uh snatch grip rdl hang snatch overhead squat back squat good morning and then a row and by the way folks so that's 24 squats in there that's a lot of that's a lot of squats and a lot of hinges Um, i'll do that for two or three rounds and then when i get ready for the last round i put my ankle weights on I put my hand weights on the curb. I do my last set, and then I, we just start walking, and I grab the hand weights. And it is believed, and I think there's some truth to this, that since I'm doing this in a fasted state, so I'm, I'm making a simple thing, I am burning sugars while I'm doing my uh, complexes. And then I can feel, I literally can feel, Brandon, the sugar to fat burning change hmm. into my walk. I, I can feel it because I'll be like, <gasps> <laughs> I'll just suddenly go, and I, I'll be out of that panic and I'll feel myself relaxed. And that's what I'm thinking I'm kicked over the fat burning. So, that
2: is so what I'm trying to get across here. So, for fat burning, we mix complexes
1: with long walks. For high level performance, we mix uh, either a hinge, which would be like a deadlift, a clean, a snatch, followed by a sprint or a sled run, or a squat, uh, front squat, you said, overhead squats are great too, followed by a sprint or a sled run. And it's interesting because the same toolkit that I use for elite performance, which is the hinge or squat followed by the sprint or sled, is the same basic tool i use for fat loss which is the complex followed by the long walk it's interesting because the complex is more intense than the front squat Mm -hmm. but the sled or sprint is more intense than the walk so it's just kind of interesting how they're this complete same thing to me but different. I, I find that once for fat burning, once for high level performance, I, I just, well, this is one of these realizations. Don't forget, I've been doing this now, what, 65 to 2020. That's got to be, that's got to be a few years, right? <laughs> 55 years. And the fact that I'm learning something every single day just excites the heck out of me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, so let, let's go off that. Okay, um, I know you've – I've read obviously a lot of articles by you, and you talked about generating passion, which for me um – Again, that really hits hits home for me because when I when I dive into something, uh, I want to be really good at it. You know, I I don't want to waste my time. I want to create a little bit more more certainty, and I want to have fun with it, Um, and I want to be excited about the process. So, like getting an actual passion behind something rather than just going through the motions and having to motivate myself to show up every day. Uh, And you talked about you know obviously weightlifting in particular, you know traveling some more and educating yourself. You know, dive into that a little bit in terms of how to generate a greater passion behind something that you do want to accomplish that you might have a hard time getting into currently.
1: Well, the first issue is the word passion. And I I hate it when I'm at a party and someone says, you know, X is my
2: passion. The word passion comes from passios. It means to suffer. It means to suffer. Mm -hmm. Passion is not love. And that's why you're
1: passionate about your children, because your children bring you a lot of suffering. And I mean this. The children are, they, 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 you know, it's funny because, you know, it's great when you're holding a baby, but trust me, the other 23 hours and 58 minutes a day with that baby are a lot of work. So Victor Frankl and Man's Search for Meaning, you know, he has that great, that great thing about suffering. And he says, you know, is, if you can find your why you can deal with any how from Nietzsche and he says the three easiest ways to discover uh, about your passion work love but the easiest one is suffering so for me (laughs) interesting I love my work and so okay so and folks this happens don't don't worry (laughs) (laughs) So, so, one time I was at the Sky Club in Atlanta, and this guy turns around with a bowl of soup, and I look down and I say, you're Gary Player. And he looks up and says, you lift weights. So, we started talking. (laughs) He's a very famous golfer. He's won the Masters. Uh, He was a weight-trained golfer. And I asked him about a story I'd heard of him one time. And he said he was having a terrible round, and he was really frustrated. And as he walked off, a fan said, I would do anything to have one of your bad days. Hmm. And it really upset him. It really upset him. And he said, no, you wouldn't. I get up before the sun comes up, and I hit 500 balls until my hands bleed. And then I put gloves on, and I keep hitting balls. I... I get sunburned, I freeze, I think about it more. <laughs> Basically, it's true. Mm-hmm. I yelled at him a lot harder than that. <laughs> I was throwing the discus one time, and someone
2: said, I would do anything to throw the discus as far as you. And I can
1: remember thinking, No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because to be a discus thrower, to be a, a, an athlete, it means you spend hours a day by yourself with no fans, with no cheer, with no return, with no reward, trying to get yourself a little bit better. Hours of it, hours. Uh, When you wake up, when you're making a meal, you're making that meal um, to make yourself
2: throw farther, do whatever you do better. Every every minute
1: of every day uh, is focused on that. When people ask me, you know, how, I knock off, I write about a book. Here. Well, how do you do it? And I, I write until it's down. And they say, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, because writers write and throwers throw and jumpers mm-hmm. jump and a bikers bike, swimmers swim. And if you're going to do something, you have to do it every day. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the 10,000-hour rule or anything like that. I I, I read that great book uh, by Epstein, I think it's called Range, where it's true in three things, chess, golf, and classical music, because those are the only three things that have instant feedback. If you make a bad chess move, you lose your bishop, you lose your queen. Uh, if you hit a ball wrong in golf, instant feedback, you know, but in no other area of life, uh, it, I know when someone plays the violin badly, I, I don't, <laughs> cause I can hear it's wrong. But I do think, I do think on the passion side of things, you have to be willing, like raising a child, um, or being married, you know, <laughs> there's good times and there's bad times. There's rich and there's poor sickness and in health Uh, if you want to be a great discus thrower, there's going to be good times and there's gonna be horrible times you're gonna be throwing a rainstorm a snowstorm and a perfect day Uh, and then that perfect day gets really really hot your hand gets sweaty and you have a hard time holding on to the discus there's always something and i and i when people want to improve their way their body looks um it means you have to give up certain things not just foods but time and you have to walk out of bed and you have to you know you know I fast 14 15 hours a day and I'll tell somebody that and they'll be like oh I, I can wait I didn't tell you to starve I told you to not eat <laughs> and then there's this disconnect, especially at parties this disconnect well I will do I do anything to lose weight well why don't you fast 15 hours a day oh, I can never do that well that's part of that thing I would do anything but that, said that would be under the House of anything, yeah. Um, uh, it's my my friend, uh, Doctor uh McComb says. Doctor McComb, he's he's uh, he specializes in candida systemic uh, candida infections, and
2: he said he's just he's got no research on what I'm about to say, but he's just noticed
1: it over the years that to help women get over it, he asked them for, for the eight weeks, nine weeks to not drink orange juice or eat oranges he's just noticed that flare-ups tend to happen with those two things so you've just agreed brandon to go on a supplement program to take these prescriptions to eliminate this and to do that but the moment he says oranges and orange juice he gets this every time no way okay. i couldn't give up oranges uh uh-huh. no way what was the last time you had orange juice oh it's been years but I couldn't give it up,
2: <laughs>
1: and that insight changed my entire career. Um, I will do anything to look like the cover of the Girl in Shape magazine. Okay, you'll have to give up carbohydrates. Well, okay, I can't do that. Okay, I want you to sleep nine hours every night. There's no way I can do that. Okay, I want you to go for a walk every day. Every day. So you're willing to do anything <laughs> except for sleep, fast, uh, give up carbs. You'll do anything except the easy stuff. What, what do you want? Yeah. So that it's funny you bring that because right now I'm getting agitated because when I talk about this, I get a little, uh, I get agitated
0: because get it's just, it's like,
1: yeah, my passion gets in the way of your. Uh, <laughs> You're and it's not really a dream, it's just, it's, so in college, I, I studied, uh, we studied Wittgensteinian logic, and one of the things you learn is that you can use words to say anything you want. Uh, Brandon, you have a pickup truck in your nose. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything. Right, but I said it, but it doesn't mean anything. Most people may say to me, I'll do anything that loses weight it's just like me saying, Brandon, you have a pickup truck in your nose. All I did is cobble some words together and throw it at you uh, across my, my larynx, my voice box, and added some lung power to it. It meant nothing. And, <clears throat> you know, passion, passion is, you know, putting your putting your feet on the ground and moving forward, you know, and and keep going when it's, when it's tough. And I got to tell you, folks, uh, no matter what what goal you have, there's going to be days. Uh, there's that great poem about Noah: "The days are long, Lord. The days are long." <laughs> you
0: know, if you want to be, if you want to get your goals, there's going to be long days ahead of you. Uh, so uh, that's enough on that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it's like you said, it's part of the process, right? It's it's not about the next, you know, three months or six. And I know we, we, uh, I want to get into timeliness and having those deadlines available. I know you're a huge fan of that but i think people get so obsessed with the the immediate result and the immediate gratification where at the end of the day like true gratitude and you know passion for lack of a better word comes through enjoying the process and seeing it out and just kind of seeing what you can create and having those small little goals here and there to to motivate you and drive you and excite you uh but not get so obsessed about getting that thing tomorrow because like like you said uh, perfectly it takes sacrifice and, and it takes time and it takes patience and it takes discipline. A lot of characteristics people don't necessarily have in their life and, and they don't appreciate and they don't value. And like that's why I see how passionate you are because you're an athlete. You've, you've embodied those values and I've embodied those right. values my entire life. If I want to play university football, I wanna compete at a high level university wrestling, if you want to compete in the Highland games, you wanna be an all American, that takes all those values to be encompassed on a day to day scale. So when we hear someone say I can't give up carbs or I can't fast for fifteen hours, yeah, it pisses us off because it doesn't make any sense to what you're actually trying to strive for.
1: So we were on a bus, my senior year at Utah State. We're on a bus going to a track meet. I mean, our bus rides were 12 to 14 hours. You know, Of course, playing university, you don't know this, right? Those massive bus rides, right? And uh, I think we were coming home, and somebody said, and we started talking about the team bus, that Playboy magazine had ranked Utah State University as a top 10 party school. So my best friend was Tarl Lidvigsman. He was our Norwegian distance runner. And I said... Did you know we were a party school? And he looked at me like this. He goes, no. Well, if you're a Division I athlete, every single week weekend of your life is gone. Uh, we would get on buses on Friday, and we would come home Sunday morning, at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., seriously, and that was my weekend. Uh, two 14-hour bus rides attract me. And that was, and so we didn't know. I
2: didn't know I was at a party school. And my brother Phil at the time, funny, was at Chico State,
1: which was the number one party school in America. And it, I, I look back on that like, even though all this stuff was going on around me, I was in this tunnel. Now, certainly, I had a great college experience, but that didn't mean that that dominated my life. To get your goals, you're going to have to sacrifice things. You can't. The phrase I always use is uh, chasing rabbits. If if you chase two rabbits, you go home hungry. Uh, on my forums, that's a very common answer for me. Dan, I want to I wanna learn the olymp. I'm 53 years old. I want to learn the Olympic lifts. I want to do a triathlon. I want to uh, do Brazilian mixed martial arts and uh, get a six-pack. Oh, and do Highland Games. I'd be like, <laughs> you're... You're... give me a break here <laughs> uh, Dan I'm a 73 year old and I'd like to learn the Olympic list what should I do uh, first off start when you're 8 you know? <laughs> I, I... so yeah it, it gets, a, it gets a... I'm not saying I'm frustrated it's just more like it's very difficult to come from uh, like yourself you know, uh, university football uh, uh, division 1 uh, track and field and then listen to people want to get your goals without understanding that, you know, I had thrown the discus a long time before I threw
0: it really far. It takes a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it takes time for sure. Um, so, going, in, going into timeliness to kind of give people that opportunity to stay motivated and maybe have these like short disciplines in these kind of like sections, um, dive into how people can create these little small deadlines for themselves. Or how, well, you, or how you use it at yeah, least.
1: The system I use, uh, I I got away from all that goal setting stuff uh, a long time ago, because, of, no offense, gentle listener, um, I've achieved a lot of my life goals. I'm one of the few people I know who's <laughs> done it. Okay, I retired at fifty-two. Uh, I, uh, I I made all my athletic goals. I, I didn't win everything I wanted to win, but I, you know. So what we do now, Brandon, is I use two systems. The first is called Shark Habits. Shark Habits. Mm-hmm. One bite, and it's gone. So, for example, you'll see I'm in a black polo shirt. Um, it's because I bought 18 of the exact same polo shirts. And Why 18, Brandon? Because that's all they had in my size in North America. <laughs> and so I only wear this shirt. Um, I went to a birthday uh, graduation party last night, a very small one, and I wore a yellow shirt, and literally the first thing out of people's mouths were, why aren't you in a black polo? And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, If you ask me to go to your wedding, the second I get that RSVP, I fill that out, I send it in, I call up. If you're registered, I order the gift. I will do that in about a three-minute period because the bride needs to know if I'm coming or not. No matter what, you're getting a gift from me. That to me, that's what a shark habit is. We have we have a, a, a chore list for the house on certain days of the week. We do certain things. We generally have a menu for the house. We eat certain things on certain days. Anything I can get to be just, if it's a yes, no, a binary question for me. If I say yes, I say yes. If I say no, I say no. How hard is it to get me to come on this podcast? Very easy. What did I say?
0: said yes.
2: (laughs) Where are we Right? So that's number one. Anything that's... Now, by the way, I didn't say this is
1: unimportant. This podcast is very important. Mm -hmm. But for me, the yes-no part, the binary part, just say yes or just say no. Get it out of your face. But for things that are my goal, I make what Pat Flynn calls a pirate map. If you're going to go find the buried treasure, it's on St. John's Island, Find the white coconut tree. Take six paces to the west. Dig down six feet. There it is. That's what people want. So I do these things called pirate maps. So they give. You, oh, it's all over. The, whole, the bulk of the world knows my pirate map. One is my sleep. One sleep ritual. Before I go to bed, I make coffee so I can wake up to the smell of coffee. I take my supplements before I go to bed. Basically, I just take fish oil and sugar-free orange-flavored Metamucil. I'm on that Metamucil challenge, and then I write up my to-do list. Uh, I don't know where it is right. It's it's next to the coffee pot right now, and it says talk to Brandon at eight o'clock. That's my to-do list for today. At nine thirty, I work out. But I I got it. But you're the big one. Number two, wake up and be grateful. The first thing I do in the morning is wake up and and be grateful. Number three, every every day I do a one-moment meditation. It's an app on my phone, and it's that app right there. Uh, Some days I go longer than one minute, but if I can't get one minute to just count my breaths, then I've got other problems that I should be concerned with. So sleep ritual, wake up and be grateful. Number three, the one-minute meditation. Number four is my training program. Two days a week, complexes and rucks. One day a week is buns and guns. Uh, Wednesday's dedicated to pressing. Today, Thursday, is tonic day where we just do mobility work. And then on the weekends, I try to keep free for bike rides and walking the dog and going with my wife. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, number five, is I strive to eat eight different vegetables every day. And I'm very good about it. I usually have that at at my brunch breakfast. My thought is this, Brandon, is if you have a goal you want, break it into a daily five-part routine, okay? What are you going to do every single day? Five parts. And if you stay true to that, principle number three of my coaching concept is this. If you respect the process The results take care of themselves. So if you say to me, Dan, I want to be a great discus thrower, I'll tell you what Coach Mom told me in 1977. Lift weights three days a week, throw the discus four days a week for the next eight years. So when you're 38, Brandon, you could be a pretty good discus thrower. (laughs) Can't wait. If if that's something you want, but if you understood what he was trying to tell me, he was telling me respect the process, the results will take care of themselves. I can't say in eight years you're going to be the Olympic gold medalist because other people want that goal also. And no offense, they might have just been born better. Okay? But you could be a pretty good discus thrower in eight years. You want to write a book? I would write a pirate map for book writing. Um, I would say, here's my pirate map for writing a book. Make coffee. Wake up the smell of coffee. Answer a few emails first thing in the morning because that warms up your typing. Write... Uh, anything you can for three hours and then live your life uh, come back
2: later in the day look over what you write clean up stupid mistakes
1: make a note or two about where this is heading and do it again uh, if you if
0: you write an hour a day for a year you'll have a book <laughs> if, you, uh, <laughs> if, if you know where you're heading <laughs> well it, it is kind of funny just like that. if
1: you don't it'd be an interesting book
0: yeah, probably more interesting, right? But it is funny just the compound effect of things that people tend to overthink what they can accomplish in, in a couple couple weeks or a couple months where they you know, they underestimate what they can accomplish in a, in a full year. And I was a good example. I, I did this year-long blog where I would write one blog on health and wellness every single day. And that could be a 10-minute blog, a 15-minute blog, whatever. But every single day for 365 days, you knew Brandon was going to produce a blog. And at the end of the year... I had accumulated over 90,000 words on health and wellness. So again, you look at that, that's maybe a book, maybe two books with that amount of words by just doing 15 to 20 minutes a day every day for 365. And I think sometimes people just get lost in not, like I said, appreciating or respecting the process and they think too much about the end result. About uh, the 365 blog. Yeah. Can I give you my three points? Can yep. I give my three points? Go, go right ahead. Yeah, and then and then I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna yeah. have people start to show. In fact, you can already see I'm getting focused <laughs> people. Are no worries, no worries. Uh, so number one, invest wisely
2: in asymmetrical risks. What can go wrong? What's the worst that can happen? So when you look at an exercise, uh, if you're gonna teach a whole bunch of people this exercise, you gotta
1: ask yourself what can go wrong. Uh, we don't do box jumps. Because a lot can go wrong with box We don't do this exercise because if you don't teach it, you don't stay focused. A lot can go wrong. So that's asymmetrical risk. Um, I have these little uh, three-day. Uh, they're very inexpensive. They're uh, they're backpacks that have enough food and water for four people for three days, mm. plus uh, some emergency things. They cost twenty bucks. So I give them every all my daughters, my wife, every car we have. Has one of those in there. Uh, I keep one right here. Um, the idea is this where I live in Utah, there's some places that if you broke down here in the summer, it could be hours, days before someone could, could come by. There's some lonely stretches in the deserts of Utah. Well, that little backpack, how much is that worth if my grandkids are with my daughter and the thing break and their car breaks down? I mean, how much are my grandkids worth to me? A lot more than 20 bucks. So that's asymmetrical risk. Number two, embrace the obvious. Runners run, run swimmers swim, lifters lift. Always try to find the most obvious things to get to your goal. And then throw your arms around them and fall in love with them. Um, that's why I like O'Gallagher's thing. Fast. Eat vegetables at every meal. Eat protein every meal. Lift three days a week. That's obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't come up with that damn book. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you want to throw the discus far, you throw the discus, you snatch and clean. Well, what else is there? Trip. That's the obvious stuff. Do that first. And then number three is, if I hate to say it, yeah, fall in love with the process. The results will take care of themselves. The shark habit, the shark habit will clear your mind but the pirate map, the pirate map, the process, the good night's sleep, the the vegetables, the, the going for the height, the <clears throat> whatever you decide your your pirate map should be. If you can follow that, and here's the other thing, if, if you don't mind, one thing. If you find you're not doing something on your pirate map, throw it out. Hmm. Because you're not going to, why waste all that time feeling bad? If you can't do the one minute meditation every day, well then don't do it but I think you'll be happy you did. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon, that's, that's a summary of, of, of my vision of coaching.
0: I love it. I love it. It's, it's simple, it's, it's, it's to the point, and it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's something that people can and should apply without really being overwhelmed or exhausted with the, with the, with the principles that you're applying. Um, well, you, you played football, you know. Number
2: one, asymmetrical risks. you got to practice taking a safety. Now, maybe you only have to do it
1: once in the preseason, practice taking a safety you know to, to win on you know so they don't get the ball mm-hmm. and you might never take a safety as a head coach but if you have to take a safety that's an asymmetrical thing that could win the game for you. you want to practice so asymmetrical risk as a football coach um, what if you kick the ball off and it only goes eight yards you know the ball's still alive. so your team has to practice what to do if the ball only goes eight eight yards? Um it, you have to practice those weird uh you have to practice what to do if the punt returner muffs the ball. Mm-hmm. Now you don't want to you don't want him to muff the ball, but boy, if he does, you don't want people to jump on it. Okay. So asymmetrical risks and then and embrace the obvious block, tackle, ball control. Those are the right mm-hmm. those are the three ways to win football games. And then listen, the third one says this. If we do what we're supposed to do, we're going to be an okay football team. We still might lose every game because we're not very good because we can't control the results, but I can control the process. And so what I do as a coach, I have, when I was dating my wife, we had a terrible football team. But at the end of the season, we won our last five games when I finally understood that I can't win games, but we can win every small situation in a game. And when those small situations start winning, pretty soon the scoreboard ended up in our favor. We weren't that good, but we won the small battles.
0: Beautiful. I love and that that's that's life, right? Take care of the small stuff that you can control.
1: What is it? Ninety five percent of worries you can't do anything about.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Well, Dan, yeah, I know you have to go. You're on a tight time frame. Again, I appreciate you being here for uh, the podcast today. Um, obviously, you guys can visit Dan John at Dan John University. Can you give them the exact uh, website, Dan, and kind of where people can find you? Um, you have a lot of cool uh, stuff. YouTube, there.
1: there's a li- The library is at danjohn.net. Thousands of pages of stuff to read. Thousands, probably. Yeah, just say thousands. It's thousands, and all free. And then danjohnuniversity.com, where we got the workout generator. We got all my new articles. We've got uh, 15 PDF people. And, uh, folks, I'm here to help. And ideally, Brandon will invite me back.
0: Absolutely. I guess we, we could have talked for hours and hours, uh, but life uh, life has to go on. So, Dan, appreciate uh, everything that you gave <laughs> us today. Um, like I said, you're an awesome guy. And, like I said, everyone, the, the stuff he provides, it, it's, again, the last week or so I've been consumed with it it's been awesome stuff and I love the education uh, it leads to a greater passion behind what I do so so thank you for that Dan and go ahead so you can have the last words here buddy be sure
1: you email me the link so I can share this now, email so I can share it okay because you know I'm an old guy <laughs> the other side, right?
0: that's okay that's good with, that's good with me all right dan you